if you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to Considering Catholicism. I'm Greg Smith, your guide to the faith, life, and civilization that is historic Catholic Christianity. Thanks for being a listener. And if you have any thoughts, any questions or comments, then send me an email to greg at consideringcatholicism.com. And would you subscribe to the podcast? That way you won't miss any episodes. And please share them with friends or on your social media so that we can grow our audience and enlarge the conversation. Now, a few episodes back, my Protestant friend Ed asked about the meaning of the phrase, the communion of the saints. Ed and I talked about how the human soul persists after death and is ultimately, in the resurrection, made whole again to enjoy right relationship with God and others. We made the point that this, this perfect communion, was what we were made for and that we begin to experience it by grace in this life through the sacraments, particularly the sacrament of Holy Communion. Well, anyway, after we recorded that episode, Ed and I got to talking because it opened as many questions as it answered. What exactly does Christianity in general, and Catholic Christianity in particular, teach about the end of our earthly life? What happens next? And so, Ed and I sat down in the secret compound in the piney woods to talk about it. Welcome to Church Chats with Greg and Ed, where Greg and his Protestant friend Ed chat about the church. Okay, last time we recorded a podcast, we talked about the communion of the saints. And this is all fascinating to me because the big picture I am now seeing is that we we continue on after we die. And I knew that, uh, but in, a, but in a, what I'm seeing now is a much, much bigger and richer picture of that. And as I've said, uh, my the Mary podcast was effective, uh, compelling to me because I, it was a picture of all of this just moving on and on and on. And then I thought about, uh, I saw some people on Facebook arguing about whether Mary, whether you should, you know, ask Mary to intercede for you. And one of them said, well, you know, she's dead. How could you do that? And I thought, well, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. What, what were they? You know, where there's all kinds of that in the Bible. Everybody, you know, so, so that brings up, I think sort of naturally, what about me when I die? Mm-hmm. What, what happens to me? The, the Protestant, I mean, I have a, I'm very seriously interested in what, <laughs> what happens to me after I die. <laughs> As right? we should be. As I should be. And I want, uh, are, are my, am I going to see my parents? All those kinds of things, right? right? And, and in the Protestant world, I, I get the feeling that we just don't want to talk about it. And, and not only that, but it's kind of okay to make stuff up. 
Um, I have heard this all of my Protestant life. People say, all, which is to say all my life, people saying, well, you know, I just know that uh, my loved one died and now he's he's off playing golf with his father or, right. or something, right. right? And I'm thinking, well, no. He's in a better place. He's in a better place. And I'm thinking, well, I don't, you don't get to just make it all up. He's and with so, grandma. You right, know. you know. So I, it, there's, it's a big, big issue. And what I, you know, I sort of, I, I sort of, uh, approach this with alternating, uh, dread and anticipation, uh, be, um, right. will I be judged for my actions? Yeah. Right. Will, right. uh, will Jesus blood cover them? Well, I assume yes. Right. Will I see the, uh, the famous movie of my life? Right. And, and if so, I would like to make some sort of a deal ahead of time if I could, um, so when we, and when we were reading through, uh, Dante and I took your mm-hmm. class on Dante and we got to the, um, to the end and, uh, Dante was being dragged through the river by Beatrice. Was it right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it was washing away his memory of, of his right. sins and so forth. I thought, well, that's comforting to me and it's scary to me. And my Protestant mind is just filled with these vague sort of gauzy, you know, right. um, Vaseline on the lens yeah. kind of uh, pictures of, of right. all that. And I would really like to hear the Catholic position right. in broad terms. Sure. Later on, we could, you know, we could dive deep if, yeah. if it made sense. Okay. So what happens when we die? Let me start off by saying that Catholicism not only thinks a lot about this and not only has, not only is its doctrine deeply formed by scripture. And, you know, this is in this, the length of this episode, I'm not going to deep dive into all right. of the various proof texts from scripture. So the things I'm going to say, I, you know, I'm, I'm certain that if we do an individual episode on each of these, I can, you know, pull out the various passages and quote scripture verse and chapter verse, all these things. But, right. but I want to kind of just give the, the big picture here. Uh, Catholicism not only has scriptural positions on this, it thinks a lot about it. So it's top of mind in Catholicism Mm -hmm. much more than it is in Protestantism, or at least contemporary Protestantism. In other words, Catholicism talks a lot about what happens when we die. It thinks a lot about it. it. It puts it front and center in the liturgy. It puts it front and center in our prayer life. Every time we, you know, every time we pray the Hail Mary, right? When we talk about the hour of our death, yeah, exactly. right? So we're constantly talking about the hour of our death. And, and before I answer the question from a Catholic standpoint, I, I just want to do the contrast that you're alluding to because that contrasts so much with at least contemporary Protestantism in which right. this question, nobody asks this question. Right. And I, and I and I say that, you know, because having been a Protestant pastor for a lot of years and having been at a lot of people's bedsides, had been with a lot of families to do their funeral, you know, the funeral for their sure. loved ones or whatever, it it never came up. I, nobody ever asked with any seriousness what what is going to happen to me. Nobody ever asked with any seriousness what happened to dad. Right. Because I think for a couple of reasons, one, it's, it was, it's impolite, right? You know, it's impolite to talk about judgment and, you know, final judgment and what happens to people. I think it's, it's uncomfortable, right? Right. You don't, 
you know, don't ask questions that you, what was the whole thing like they say with lawyers in a courtroom, never ask a question that you don't want. Maybe maybe we don't talk about it because we really don't want to know. Because we don't, you know, you don't want that question answered. And so there's a lot of things that we ignore. I think the other thing too is that at least contemporary evangelical Protestantism you know, death has been so far removed from our consciousness. So I grew up in Southern California, you know, right. where you would like to live. <laughs> right. I escaped it. You want to go there. But right. I remember growing up in the nicer parts of Southern California in which when I grew up there, everything was new. Like all the cities yeah. were new and clean and because um, it all had been built the last 20, 30 years. Like Steve Martin said in the LA story, be careful. Some of those houses are 30 years old. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so, you know what I never saw growing up? You never saw cemeteries. Hmm. Like go drive yeah. around, go drive around the nice parts of Orange County or LA County or whatever, uh, right. you know, go drive through, you know, Malibu or go drive through right. Orange County or Newport Beach and go, where are all the cemeteries? And, and there aren't any. When people die, you know, there's a couple of them that are kind of far away. Right. You know, um, the big famous one out there is Forest Lawn, and it's this big thing that's like a hundred gazillion acres. But w- largely what happens, you know, throughout most of human history, when, when people die, when your loved ones die, they die in the next room or in the same room with you. Right? So grandma lives with you and grandma gets old and sick and she lives in the, the back bedroom or she lives, you know, she's in, right. you know, in the front room in a bed or your mom. And eventually they get sicker and sicker and sicker. And one morning they, they don't wake up. Right. And so somebody comes over and you have a wake or a funeral and then you go to the churchyard and bury them. Right. And so death is sort of front and center. And we think about death. We think about it coming. Right. We have this consciousness of it. It, it, it operates within our you know, sphere of awareness, right? I mean, it's, it, you can't avoid it. But then something happened, I think, in the last, you know, 50, 60, 70, 100 year, you know, years or maybe, in which this all got pushed away to other places. So well, what happens is, in many cases, people go to hospitals and then they just don't come back out. Right. Or they go to a hospice but then they just get sick and, or I mean, at some point they just pass away and everybody says goodbye. And then, you know, the funeral people come and they take them away and, you know, maybe there's a funeral, maybe not, maybe they just, there's an urn, but I'm not saying that there's no funerals because I know right. that there are, but it, it, it's sort of like death has been sort of removed yeah, from step, being- Step by step. We've, step by step. It's just less a part of our lives, our right. daily lives, people dying. Right. And because of that, we don't think about it as much and it's easy for it to sort of slip away and not really be conscious that this is a real thing that comes for all of us and we should really think about it. It should play a role. So in Catholicism, you know, you've seen my study and you know, some of my YouTubes, I have it. I have like this skull. Now it's not a real skull. It's a fake human skull. I didn't like go dig one up, but I've got this, you know, kind of fake human skull sitting on my bookcase. And some people said, why do you have a skull? Um, actually I got, um, skulls for all of my staff a few years ago, um, <laughs> staff members as a, as a Christmas present, yeah. because, uh, that's an old Catholic tradition. And you'll see in old paintings of Catholic saints or whatever, there's always a picture of like a skull on their desk or something. And it's a Latin term called memento mori, uh, which in Latin means remember your death. An right. Interesting phrase, right? Remember right. your death. You are going to die. Right. And every day you're one step closer to that. So remember that. Don't forget right. that you're going to die. 
And so by keeping that, in a sense, keeping a skull on your desk or having grandma close to you or or being aware of it, or every day when you say your rosary or you say Hail Mary and say, remember us at the hour of our death, because that hour is one hour closer than it was an hour ago. And so I think what it is, is in Catholicism, all of these practices and traditions and prayers and liturgies or whatever, within Catholic culture, this universal reality for all of us, Protestants, Catholics, whatever, is, is much more front and center, much more top of mind, much more in front of us. And that's deliberate. And so we ask, what's going to happen to me? And am I prepared? And what happens to me when I die? So that's kind of a setup because I think, you know, I mean, I, gee, I remember doing funerals when I was a Protestant pastor and nobody wants to talk about this. You know, nobody wants to, nobody wants to talk about it when dad is sick. Nobody wants to talk about it at the funeral. Nobody wants to talk about it ever. It's just like, well, as you said, dad, dad's off fishing in heaven or something. Right. And you go, oh, that's a nice thought. So all of that to be said, it needs to be front and center our lives. And let's talk about that because in Catholicism, actually in Christian theology, way back to the beginning, I mean, 2000 years. There's this notion of the four last things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, you know, Protestants, at least any <clears throat> biblically faithful Protestant would agree that there are these four last things. Right. Uh, but in Catholicism, the four last things is a thing. Like, right. you know, you talk about the four last things. We talk about it all the time. It's part of our catechesis. The four last things, what it refers to is the four last things in our lives or in, for each of us. And the four last things are death, judgment and heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. So those are the four last things. You're going to die. There's going to be judgment and you're either going to go to heaven or hell. And, and that's no way out. That's it. And again, that's utterly biblical. Uh, they come right from the words and the parables and the teachings of Jesus. It's inescapable. So it's something that you should be thinking about every day. So let's, let's walk through what those four last things are, right? Yep. First of all, what is death? And to give a precise definition of that. Death is the separation of a human soul from a human body. And that is ultimately temporary. Right. So biblically and doctrinally, a human being is a fusion, use the word fusion, of a soul and a body. So when, when God makes Adam in Genesis 2, it does not say that Adam had a soul and then God gave him a body. Right. What it says is that God scooped up the dust of the earth and then breathed life in it. So what we are is the dust of the earth that has a soul breathed into it. Yep. And because we are a fusion of those two natures, when our body dies, because it dies because of sin, right? Genesis chapter three, rebellion, death enters the world. The soul is separated from the body. And I've said this in, in teaching many times before, and I want to make sure I say this very clearly because I've had some people email me and, um, you know, disagree with me on this point. The reality is, is that when people die and their soul goes to judgment, in a sense, they're not fully human anymore. Right. Right. What they yeah. are, they're, they're no longer a human being. They're a human soul because they've been separated from their body. When they are reunited with their body, they will once again fully be a human being. Right. A human person. So a human person involves those two things. When we die, our body is separate from our soul and our soul goes on to 
the second of the four last things, and that's judgment. Right? So we, the soul of the people who have passed on, saints who have passed on, saints that we are asking to intercede, it's in that state that they are, we, that we are interacting with them because they have not been reunited with their Correct. bodies. Okay. Correct. Um, because Christ has not returned. So at the second coming of Christ, okay, Revelation 21, mm-hmm. Christ comes back um, and brings an end and there is the resurrection. We'll get into this in a second. Yep. And then the souls are reunited with their bodies for eternity. Yep. And that is the resurrection. Um, and all are, res- are resurrected, both the just and the unjust. Let's, 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 we'll get to this in a second. So, so when we die, uh, this will be, uh, make this clear by explaining judgment. There's two judgments that we go through. There's the first judgment, which is called the particular in Catholic theology, the particular judgment. And that is when, at the moment you die, your soul is judged for what you did or didn't do on earth, right? For the things that we have done and the things we have left undone, Mm -hmm. right? And then, of course, what is taken into consideration with that is your faith in Christ and your salvation or whatever, but you are judged as an individual at that time. Okay. Okay. That's called the particular judgment. It's particular to you. So that has to do with bad things I've done, good things I left undone, I left undid. Yeah, you know, there's a, you know, the prayers that say that for the things that we have done, for the things that we have failed to do, for whatever. Okay. And then, of course, thrown into that judgment, into that consideration right. is the state of your salvation, your relationship with Christ, right? Okay. So, so there's, for lack of a better word, there's sort of the equation. Okay. There's okay. the things that Ed has, you know, done, the things that Ed has failed to do. So in other words, you have sins of commission and sins of omission. Right. So Ed's sin and, and, Ed, and Ed's salvation in Christ, all of that is judged. Okay. Okay. So I think most Christians get this, right? right. That you're going to be judged. And, um, and, and again, if you are saved in Christ, right, mm-hmm. then that is as John Donne once said, or uh, there, there's a weight of glory, a weight of eternal glory that right. is deposited into your account, right? Right. With me? Yep. That's, but I want to drive it as that's the particular judgment, okay? And at that moment, then, you're going to go to one of three places. Okay. You're either going to go to heaven or hell mm-hmm. or purgatory to await the final judgment. So there is the particular judgment and the final judgment. The particular judgment is when your soul is judged and your soul is sent to a destination. The final judgment is when Christ returns, the, the general resurrection happens, the dead are raised and reunited, the, uh, reunited with their bodies. And then there is a final sorting out of everything for eternity. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that final judgment or the last judgment as Protestants call it, or the final judgment is a general judgment. Right. But in that last judgment, we are judged in the body. Okay. Yep. Okay. The first particular judgment is you individually, just your soul. Yep. Because your body's, you know, you're separate from it. When you're reunited with our bodies, when Christ returns, you know, Satan is thrown into the, you know, abyss, the lake of fire, uh, the heavens and earth are remade, but there is that last judgment and the last judgment, final judgment 
is where the dead are brought. Sometimes Protestantism is called the the white throne judgment. Yep. Where all sort of yep. stand before yep. and then they essentially go to their final destination in the body. Okay. So you remember in the Dante class, this was uh, integral to how Dante describes all of this in the Divine Comedy. Because you remember at the very beginning of that, Dante and Virgil go to the gates of hell. The mm-hmm. one, one thing that most people don't know anything about Dante, remember, is what's inscribed over yeah. the gates of hell, right? Abandon all hope, hope. Yeah. you who enter here. But uh, uh, on that same inscription, I mean, that people remember that part, but this inscription right. is longer than that. And the inscription says something effective, this is an eternal place. Okay. That hell is an eternal place. So just to be clear, if I die without Christ, if I die just, just not wanting to be anything to do with God. Mm-hmm. Um, in rejection of God. In rejection of God and so forth. Then there's no way back from that. Right. Okay. And you're going to go to hell. And Dante sort of describes as the inferno with the layers and the levels, right? Right. But remember when Dante des- descends through that, what he's meeting are souls. And when I taught that class, we kept pointing that out, that all of the people that he's meeting are souls. And he has these conversations with them about their fear uh, because when Christ returns and the last judgment, yeah. then that state that they're in will be final. And in a sense, their soul is being tormented, but in the final judgment, they're reunited with their body Right. And they are, as a fully as a human being, either spend eternity separated as a human being from God or united right. to him. And there was always a sense in those conversations that Dante has in the Inferno, in hell, that people talk about when, in a sense, what's going to happen is God is going to finally shut the door. You know, there'll be the general judgment. People are reunited with their bodies. There's the final judgment. And there's one of two places that people end up, you know, with God right. or, or in the new heavenly Jerusalem, the new heaven and the earth or in right. the other place. And that's in that sense, heaven and hell are eternal. And conversely, when Dante goes up into Paradiso, into mm-hmm. heaven, he's meeting souls who look forward right. to finally, yep. after the resurrection, that the bliss that they experience will become right. the bliss of the new heaven and the new earth, right? Right. And then there's this in-between place, purgatory, and we probably should have a whole separate episode sure. about that. But if you recall, this is the people who die with grace, but still a lot of sort of sin in their lives, mm-hmm. okay? Venial sin in their lives. So I remember when I taught that class, I described it as, you know, it, the purga- it's about purification. So it's right. about is I may have ex- I may have grace, but I'm not ready. Right to fully experience God mm-hmm. until yep. the things that are sort of wrong in me are purged right. and I can be made and prepared. And so it's a time of sort of preparation. But if you also recall in that class, we pointed out and Dante points out that purgatory is temporary. It's different than heaven and hell. Heaven and hell are eternal places. There will always be a heaven. There will always be a hell. Those are eternal right. destinations. Purgatory in a sense is a temporary thing <clears throat> that once Christ returns and there's the final judgment and the resurrection, there's no more purgatory. That, that time has ended. Right. Uh, the doors are closed, things are sealed, and there's the final destinations, right? Right. So in essence, what happens between the time that you die, the particular judgment, and the last judgment, you're beginning to experience in an incomplete way your final destination. Okay. Yep. Make sense? Yep. 
So that's judgment. There's death. There's judgment, the two judgments. Now, those two places, heaven and hell, right, are those final destinations. And this is where I think there's a huge struggle, and it's always been a huge struggle for Christians from the beginning because, you know, it's a, it's, it's a mystery of God why there is a hell. I mean, why would a loving God send people to hell? Right. And I, th- I think when, you know, C.S. Lewis once said that, if, you know, if you look at arguments against Christianity, that this is about the only argument like he said, that really he thought had teeth. Right. And that is why would a loving God send people right. to hell and to an eternal hell? Um, and again, I think we should probably do an episode on these. these I, so I, I was just thinking get, that. Yeah. Get, do a deep dive. But let me just say um, a couple of things about it real quick. Number one, in order for us to be human persons, there has to be free will. Okay. Right. And this is where my Calvinist background, we struggled with that notion. But Catholicism says that ultimately there is a sense of freedom. We have the freedom to reject God. Right. And God will, and Lewis had a couple of interesting quotes. One, a famous one, I think from your Christianity, he said, you know, in the end, there will only be two, two kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Those who bend their knee at the last day and say to God, thy will be done. And those whom on the last day, God says sadly, no, thy will be done. Right. And so in order for us to be fully human persons and have free will, we have to, for that to be meaningful, we have to be able to have the capacity to reject God. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Lewis also had a poem that he wrote. He has a wonderful little book of poems that are a book that's been published of Lewis's poems. And I remember that being very influential for me when I was a, a brand new Christian in college, but he has one about a little short little poem about hell. And I I probably shouldn't quote it here without in front of me, but uh, let me try to remember the gist of it. He says, uh, God in his infinite mercy made the fixed pains of hell, Mm -hmm. said to human rebellion and misery, this is thy boundary, no further do thy go. Right. And in other words, what he's saying is that, and Lewis unpacks that and says, I'm, he will not give ultimately those who reject God mm-hmm. the power to veto the happiness of the universe. So have you ever been like with a group of people, maybe a, like a family trip or something like that, where there's like this one family member who's, who's going to be kind of a, uh, a jackass right. and is going to be miserable and make and drag everybody else down. Right. Right. I'm going to complain and be difficult and tedious and be miserable and ensure that everybody else, you know, we're all at Disneyland for the day and this person's going to right. ruin it for everybody right. else. Well, Lewis says in one passage, God isn't going to allow a few people who want to reject God to, in a sense, spoil the spoil the joy of the universe. In, in uh, his book, The Great Divorce, there's somebody asks one of the wise people who come from heaven to meet the people on the bus ride from hell, which if you haven't read the book, you should. They said, well, what about all those unhappy people down there? And the, the wise person from heaven says, would you have misery hold happiness hostage? Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, you know, he unpacks it really clearly there. In fact, you know, I would say, I agree, that book, you should read it. Um, I would say if I listed on one hand the top five books that have influenced my life, um, The Great Divorce would be one of the top yeah. five. Um, I, 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 that, at least other than the Bible, whatever, right? But, right. but yeah, you're right. He says, hey, look, in the end, 
you can't hold the universe hostage because you're going to be miserable and reject God. And so this is back to that poem where he says, God in his infinite mercy made the fixed pains of hell. He drew a boundary around it and said, right. human misery, human rejection of God, human rebellion, mm-hmm. those things, here's its space and no further right. can it go. And so there's a sense in which, and we'll have to do a, you know, a whole episode on hell sometime, but, but there is this sense of, that that's a final destination. And right. what happens in this in-between state, sometimes called the intermediate state, by the way, the time between when you personally as Greg or Ed die right. and face our particular judgment at the hour of our death and whenever it is that Christ returns and the, the resurrection and the last judgment occurs, we think of ourselves living in that intermediate state where we as souls are experiencing a sort of soulish version of our right. final destination. And if our final destination is ultimately hell because we rejected God, we're beginning to experience that first sense of separation from God as a soul that will be made final and complete mm-hmm. when we are reunited with our body and as a human person spend eternity right. in that condition. But conversely, we have uh, heaven in which those who have bent their knee to God and right. said, thy will be done and who have received salvation and, and accepted grace, right? They begin to experience union and what we talked about last time, communion, mm-hmm. the communion of saints, communion with God and, other, and others. And in that intermediate state between their particular time of death and judgment and the final resurrection when, you know, the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem is there, they're beginning to experience that communion with God and each other that will be made complete mm-hmm. after the resurrection. Um, and part of that is in Catholicism, and we may have talked about this in the community of the saints section is a a phrase called the beatific vision, Mm -hmm. which is that what we ultimately get to do is, is see God face to face, you know? So think about in the old Testament, when Moses asks to see God, when he's up on Mount Sinai and God Mm -hmm. says, no one can look on me and live. Right. And, and. Interestingly, you know, so Moses has to hide in the rock and God goes by and he just gets to see sort of the passing right. side of God. You know, it's really interesting because in the New Testament, God, Moses gets his wish because on the, the transfiguration on Mount Tabor, yeah. uh, Christ is with Moses and Elijah. And so Moses is finally getting to look on, you know, the face of God mm-hmm. in Christ. And that, that, that's a, a precursor to the fact that we will be able to look on uh, that and remember in Dante when he gets to the very top of paradise, the very top of heaven, that what you have is the Holy Trinity, mm-hmm. and it's this this kind of mystery, and all of the saints are arranged around that in a sense, being able to see God and each other right. in fullness, and that is beatific, or basically the beautiful vision, I the had, vision of beauty. I had an epiphany. 10 or 15 years ago, uh, on Mount Rainier, Uh, I was out visiting, my wife and I were out visiting the kids and, uh, they said, Oh, look, the mountain is out today. Normally it's enshrouded with clouds. Every time we go out there, it's, it's out. And I'm always like, well, what are you talking about? You know, I can see it every time I come out. Anyway, we decided to take an afternoon and drive out there from, uh, from Olympia, Washington. And I thought, well, I mean, yeah, I got to go see it. I'm this close. I'm not going to not go see it, you know? Uh, And so we drove and drove and drove and drove and drove and it was big and it kept looking like we were getting there and we were not because it's so big. And and finally we got 
into the uh, switchback road on the other side that led us up to the visitor's center, which was, you know, partway up the mountain. And I thought, well, you know, let's just go out and take a look at it. It'll be great. And we can say we did it and we can go inside and buy the hat or, you know, Mount Rainier, the dance mix or something, you know, <laughs> uh, get the CD and, and then let's go. Let's go find something to eat. You know? Right. But we got to the visitor's center and we pulled in and we were very close at that point, right? And we were looking out at, I don't know which face of it it was, but there was a big glacier coming down uh-huh. and it was, and it was stunning. It looked yeah. like you could walk out and just walk right up it. Right. I know you can't, but it looked like that. It was right there and, and it was incredibly detailed and it was a beautiful uh-huh. day. And I, we stood there and stood there and stood there until it's like, well, I, I guess we should go. Yeah. But I, you know, I th- I remember thinking I wanted to build a house right there in the parking <laughs> right. lot so that I could just get up every morning and stare at the mountain for an yeah. hour and a half. Right. And on the way down the mountain, I thought, well, I always thought, why would I want to go to heaven, whatever right. that means, and just stare at God? Right. I mean, could we at least play cards or something? Can we? Well, yeah. And yeah. I, I thought, you know what? If it's just a big rock sitting there and I'm that fascinated, what will it be like when I get to look at God? Yeah. Probably that's all I'll want. Well, it's the completion of our desires, the fulfillment of our desires. You know, I, I struggled with this for a long time before I became a Christian because it just sounded, heaven sounded boring to me. Right. Like when I was, you know, 20 years old or whatever, when I became a Christian in college, I, I went through this, you know, this process and learning about Christianity or whatever. And I got to the point where I started accepting a lot of the intellectual, you know, propositions of Christianity. Right. I believe there was a guy named Jesus. I believe that, you know, right. he was, you know, born and lived and died and rose again and, um, you know, began to accept all of those things. But the problem was for a while, I just couldn't get excited about it. Right you know, emotionally, because it just sounded like, well, then you get to go to heaven and you just, I don't know what, you know, yeah. you, you, you sit on a uh, cloud with a harp and you, right. you know, whatever, sing songs or whatever. It just sounded dull. Like I, I admitted that it was probably true, but I couldn't get excited about it. Right. And it, and it was through reading some various books. I mean, The Great Divorce was one on C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, the mm-hmm. second book, that Paralandra. Yep. Read those. That was the moment actually when I closed, I was 20 years old. I closed the last page, you know, read the last page and closed the book of Paralandra and said, I'm in. I had that kind of oh. moment you had with, with, with when we talked about Mary. I was yeah. like, I'm in. Because that book painted this vision of sort of an unfallen, you know, beautiful thing. But that, that beatific vision, I love your analogy uh, with, you know, Mount Rainier, that it's the thing that satisfies all of your desires. Right. And if you think about all of the things that we want in this life, that we chase in this life, all of the, the unfilled aches and desires and, and, and nooks and crannies of our life, then nothing on this life can fill. We're always endlessly unhappy because we can't ever find that thing that we're missing. Didn't Lewis say, was it Lewis that said, you know, rather that it's not that we are that we, um, that we want too much, but that we're satisfied with too little. Yeah. Yeah. He has this really wonderful passage where he says it's, it's like, uh, we've been promised, you know, we're, we're, I think is the, the phrase is we're, we're like children playing with mud, mud pies when we've been promised a, you know, a holiday at the beach. We're just, we're content with too little. And what we've made, what we're made for is this kind of ultimate, 
uh, happiness and this ultimate desire. And all of the things that we loved on this earth or we tried to live on this earth, none of them fulfilled us. And in the beatific vision, we find that thing that we've been searching for and right. we've been looking for. I, I can't remember who the author was. Many years ago, I read, oh, who was it? I, it'll come to me as soon as we finish the podcast or maybe a listener will email me and remind me. But somebody said, hey, maybe it was Lewis. He says, can you imagine being offered a deal by God? And the deal is this. I will give you all earthly pleasures. I will give you all power, wealth, you know, whatever you want on this world. But you will never see my face. Mm. And he said, if, if you kind of feel a chill go through your spine, because you know that none of that stuff will ever satisfy you. Right. And this is what the Catholicism calls the beatific vision, that ultimately what it results in is us in communion with God. And that, as we said in that communion episode, is the end for which we were made, the purpose, the telos of our lives, and that gets fulfillment. And so coming back a little bit to the hell side of it is that those who have rejected that thing and have not desired that thing and have chased other things... They don't get to experience the beatific vision, and that in and of itself is the punishment. Right. Right? So, I mean, we imagine, you know, devils with little pitchforks sticking, right. you know, you, you know, in whatever, and that's a way for, our, for us to imagine what that's like. But ultimately... What it is, is it's being deprived of the beatific vision. Right. If you remember the Dante class when they're in Inferno, the, the, the bottom of the pit of Inferno is the, the, the coldest, darkest place yeah. in the universe as far from God as you can get. And that is the punishment to be sealed when the last judgment comes at the resurrection and the door is closed. And you are just alone in the coldest, dark, and as far from the beatific vision as you can be. That is hell. And so anyway, where we started is what happens when you die and, and why you should think about that and why you should remember your death is as much as this is uncomfortable and considered un- impolite to discuss. Right. And we would rather talk about a lot of other things. I can't think of anything more important for exactly. me to think about, which is why I have a skull on my a fake skull on my desk. Uh, right. You know, FBI who's listening to this. Uh, I, it's not a real skull. Uh, <laughs> but that's the reason why I must remember my death every day because I need to be prepared for my death and I need to be prepared right. for judgment because I desire above all things to know and see and enjoy God. Mm-hmm. It's like the saying goes, wishful thinking is not a plan. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, uh, dear listeners, memento mori, remember your yeah. death and prepare yourself and live and, and, and take the preparation so that you can have, and we'll have a, another episode about this, what Catholicism calls the good death. Hmm. There are good deaths and not good deaths. Hmm. And a good death is basically dying prepared. Hmm. Yeah. And dying in a state of grace, prepared for the four last things. Well, here's hoping. Yeah. Amen. Thanks. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, 
the Church and its Saints, or Catholic History, Culture, and Art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.